You're listening to China Africa Talk. Jambo ni Bridget akikuletea kipindi kinachohusiana na China na Africa. Vous écoutez le dialogue sino-africain avec Bridget. Everything China, everything Africa. Olá, você está ouvindo China Africa Talk com Bridget. Sayidati wa sadati marhaban bikum fi al-hawar al-siniy al-arabi ma'a Bridget. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening from wherever you are tuned in. This is China Africa Talk with Bridget Mutambiwa here, coming to you from the Chinese capital in Beijing. In today's edition, we take a look at how China and countries on the African continent are tackling challenges associated with climate change. Our guests, Mr. Ma Jun, who's the director of the Institute of Public and Environmental Affairs, a non-governmental organization in Beijing, and Dr. Ken Orengo, Executive Director at the Center for Climate Change and Environmental Policy with the Africa Policy Institute, API, join us on the line to share their views on global policy changes and improvements in ecological protection in recent years. Mr. Ma Jun and Dr. Rengo, thank you for joining us today on China Africa Talk. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yes. Okay. All right. Perhaps let's begin with Mr. Mark. Mr. Mark, you are based in China. What have been some uncommon climate patterns and how are you tackling these challenges in China? Yes. China, just like most other parts of the world, is experiencing some climate change challenges with some uncommon climate patterns. For those, you know, like me who live long enough in the city of Beijing can experience a more or less kind of harshful winter days and more kind of hot weather. So in the short term, mm-hmm. uh, we are experiencing more extreme weather. Okay. Yeah, extreme rainfalls, the frequency of extreme rainfalls have been increasing since 1960s, according to the weather statistics. Okay. Uh, because of that, we're suffering from more flooding and especially the water logging in the cities. Mm-hmm. And over the long run, of course, I mentioned the temperature is rising based on all this monitoring. Mm-hmm. And the course of that, we are experiencing mountain glaciers in the western part of China, mm-hmm. those mountain and uh, high plateau regions. Uh, those are the sources of the major rivers, like the Yangtze River. Mm-hmm. And not just for China, but also for the whole big Southeast Asia and South Asian regions. Mm-hmm. And we're also experiencing monitoring the sea level. It's rising mm-hmm. in China as well. That also posed over the long-term threat to our coastal region. Mm. Dr. Orego, yes. how is the situation in Kenya? How are you tackling climate change in your country? Yes, I think we are on track. Mm-hmm. First, what I can say is we have put in place legal and institutional frameworks okay. that are required to deal with climate change. And just like in other countries, we have under the Paris Agreement, we have our national determined contribution. We have an NDC plan. This is the second. We just renewed the NDC in 2020. This is the second cycle of the planning. This has very specific targets. For example, under mitigation, we have 32% reduction in emissions. So there are a lot of activities that are now being planned to meet this target. Mm-hmm. Uh, under adaptation, we have financing for locally led climate actions, okay. where now we encourage citizen participation in innovation, in technology, and in activities on adaptation to climate change. We also have other institutions which are not government, okay. like civil society and think tanks, who are now also building capacity for institutions that are involved in climate change to give them capacity to deal with climate change. For example, 
example, our institute, the Africa Policy Institute, mm-hmm. is involved in such activities to give knowledge and provide capacity. To okay. Yeah, so I can say we're on track, but we need more action than planning. Ah, okay. And regionally, how is climate change impacting your home country? What are governments and policymakers' response to some of the challenges in your country or in your region? Yeah, so, so just like other countries, we are, we are also experiencing some changes. For example, in Kenya, we have changing rain patterns. Mm-hmm. So we are now almost the end of April. Still, uh, the crops have not been planted because there's no rain. So you can see there's the change in rain pattern. Mm. Even during the short periods of short rain, the rains are excessive. So we also have those cases of flooding. So such changes, you can see already livelihoods are affected mm-hmm. because now the farmers, uh, they may not even harvest. That also affects food security. So now the weakness in policy on this is these are viewed as disasters. There is no connection at policy level to view this as effects of climate change. So the disadvantage is that is that now all the interventions that are done are short term because when you treat it as a disaster, then you get into disaster management, which are basic short term plans. I think there should be more advocacy at policy level to make these policymakers need to be more sensitized to deal with these changes. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. Uh, Mr. Mark, could you give us an idea of the transformations that China has gone through with regards to tackling issues of climate change over the last years or just before the IPCC finalized the third part of the sixth assessment report on climate change on April the 4th? Yeah, when China signed the Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, some of the commitments have been made to uh, reduce the carbon intensity of our economy, economic growth. So by the end of 2020, the per GDP carbon intensity in China have dropped 48.4% in comparison with that of 2005. Okay. So this is larger than the target of 40 to 45%. To achieve this, uh, China have made huge efforts to try to control the consumption of coal, the most carbon potent fossil fuels. And uh, so that percentage uh, have dropped from nearly 63% to 56% in about five years of time. Uh, And then renewable energy sources, the non-fossil fuel consumption have increased by about 10% Mm -hmm. in just in five years of time. Uh, And today, China has the largest installation capacity and power generation volume when it comes to solar and wind power. And China also has the largest sales of new energy automobile. And all these are some of the efforts made which contributed to the reduction of China's carbon intensity. Mm. And which policies impressed you the most based on your work experience? How can China practically engage in tackling 
climate change issues based on the finalized IPCC third parts of this report. Yeah, the policy that perhaps me the most is how China managed to check the vast expansion of coal consumption. Okay. Prior, you know, between 2000, uh, the year 2000 to 2012, mm-hmm. China's coal consumption got tripled in just that short period of time. Mm. As a result, our carbon emission have expanded very, very rapidly. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, due to the vast industrialization and urbanization, but uh, ever since 2013, China have launched a national action plan to tackle air pollution problems. You know, Beijing and the large surrounding regions used to suffer from very severe air pollution. Mm-hmm. And in response to that, a national action plan has been launched. And the source of the local emission particles and nitrogen and sulfur dioxide, they come from the same sources as the emission of the carbon. So coal combustion is a major part of that. So I'm very impressed how China managed to cut our air pollution level by more than half in just eight years of time. Mm. Uh, and in the meantime, our vast expansion of carbon emissions have been brought under control. And this is a major contribution to the global fighting against climate change. Mm. And of course, you know, we need to recognize that today's, uh, you know, our mission is far from being accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still need to further clean up our air quality. And in the meantime, China is facing a very complicated slowing down of the economy, the shortage of power and energy and pandemic, and also some rising geopolitical tension. So all of this means that we're facing headwind in tackling the climate change. Mm. Um, So that's why it's very, very important for China to make that pledge to go carbon neutral Mm -hmm. by 2060, you know, to pick our carbon emission before 2030 and go carbon neutral before 2060. To try to implement it, China has created a national guideline and now it's, uh, it's working out timetable and, and also roadmaps for different regions and sectors. Thank you. Okay. Dr. Orego? Yes. Still on policies, you're the executive director for the Center for Climate Change and Environmental Policy at the Africa Policy Institute. From where you stand as a policymaker in terms of policy guidance over the past several years, do you feel the COVID pandemic has been given more attention than issues to do with tackling climate change? Uh, yes, I think at global level, mm-hmm. the global policy changes in the past several years there is a lot of improvement. I think they are in the right direction. So, for example, with the signing of the Paris Agreement in 2016, mm-hmm. I think this is one of the policies that we have that is universally acceptable. Okay. And uh, which, as my colleague says, Kenya and China and many other countries have committed to this agreement. There is a commitment, for example, to mobilize $100 billion annually mm-hmm. under uh, those commitments. So I think this has not been done. So there is still room for improvement in terms of this global policies. There are also other policies, but I think that is the most universal acceptable. In terms of COVID, I don't think COVID has been given so much attention. Okay. Uh, because even in the recovery from the impact of COVID, you can see we have initiatives like the Green Recovery, mm. which are still trying to, even as we make efforts to recover from COVID, how are we doing it in a green way, trying to deal with the recovery of the effects of COVID.
mm. a context of climate change. So I still don't think that COVID uh, was given more attention than this. Mm. Interesting. Mr. Ma, I'm going to ask you the same question as well. Do you feel the COVID pandemic has been given more attention than issues to do with tackling climate change? I agree with Dr. Regal. Yes, of course, a global pandemic deserves its attention. But in the meantime, we should not try to let go other targets in tackling the pressing global challenges, mm-hmm. including climate change. I'm happy to see that even during this once-in-a-century pandemic, so many countries still managed to get together in Glasgow, last year's uh, COP26, mm-hmm. and through very tough negotiation and reached an agreement. And for the first time, so many countries, more than 130 countries and regions, uh, have uh, joined the so-called global race to zero, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that they made certain commitment to carbon neutrality. But in the meantime, we have to recognize that issues, including the global pandemic, have complicated our climate action. So it's not just pandemic, but also the global economic situation and the looming energy crisis, and also the rising geopolitical tension, Mm -hmm. or we're having a war in Europe at the moment. So all of this complicate the situation and so much more attention have to be paid to the energy security, food security, and the security of industrial supply chain. And as a result, a lot bigger redundancy capacity have to be built or released. Fossil fuels, which used to be phased out, are being reintroduced. So as a result, we have seen a significant rebound. Mm-hmm. of carbon emission last year. So these are definitely a challenge. So we have to work together and find innovative solutions if we don't want to miss the target to control the global temperature rise by 2.0 Celsius and ideally by under 1.5 Celsius degree. Dr. Rego, yes. let's move on to youth. Africa is the continent with the youngest youth. What are youth in your region or in your country doing to practically engage in tackling climate change? How are the challenges faced related to the measures taken to tackle these challenges? I think there is very minimal youth involvement okay. in these efforts to deal with climate change in Kenya. Okay. So, for example, the last COP, we saw a youth declaration that was made, for example. This was to mobilize youth participation, I think, in, in that country, which was the host. And they made a youth declaration to mobilize young people to be more involved in dealing with climate change. These have not seen this replicated in the regional and local level. Still, because of poverty and employment, the youth segment of the population is viewed as a segment which needs to be empowered. Mm. They are not viewed as a segment with solutions to challenges that are facing, not even climate change, even the other challenges that are facing our region. Yeah, mm-hmm. So that needs to shift. For youth to participate more, they need to be looked at people with solutions. They need to look at themselves as people with solutions mm-hmm. and also advocate for this effort dealing with climate change. What I have seen locally in a very small way is the government has recognized some individual youth, young people, if you say, to be champions in climate change, but not under any framework. Okay. Just, uh, I think it's just a, a recognition which is more ceremonial that a few young people have been recognized as champions in climate change. I think more needs to be done by the young people themselves for them to be involved more in efforts in dealing with climate change. Okay. Mm. Mr. Ma? Yes. yes. How's the situation in China? Are youth keen on actively and practically engaging in climate change issues? Yeah, when it comes to China, thanks 
to the extensive media report and awareness building campaign, the level of recognition of uh, climate change among the youth is very high. And we're encouraged to see some of them have been engaged in you know, activities related to their own lifestyles. For example, in an operation titled Clear Your Plate, many participated to try to reduce the food waste, which is a serious problem in China. And some of them participated in the garbage sorting program that the government is trying to organize. And in the meantime, some of them have conducted tree planting and biodiversity protection. Mm. Uh, having said that, I agree with Dr. Regal. The awareness level yet to be fully translated into a real solid action, just like in Kenya. Probably this issue has not been prioritized uh, like we have witnessed uh, in some other parts of the world. So more of this awareness building needs to be done and more practical solutions need to be developed so that the young people can relate to and can more easily get involved. Uh, in China, we have a program called the Ant Forest. It's a major app that hundreds of millions of people, uh, many of them are young people, they participated and by practicing some of the low-carbon activities make contributions to the tree planting efforts. I think these are the kind of programs that the youth can feel can find it more interesting to participate. Dr. Rego, in our discussion earlier, you mentioned COP26. Yeah. Yes, this year we're looking forward to COP27. What are the visions and ambitions yeah. that your country? is looking to bring to COP27, scheduled to take place from the 7th to the 18th of November in Egypt. From where you stand, how can technology help solve the problems of climate change? I think that what didn't come out clearly mm-hmm. for Africa in COP26 was what is Africa's contribution to the global effort for dealing with climate change. That didn't come out clearly. So even if there are these things that are done by Africa, in their contribution, mm-hmm. then I think the African countries need to amplify their voices to show the world what is their contribution to this effort. And I think now because 27 is happening in Africa, this will be an opportunity for Kenya and other African countries to amplify that voice so that Africa is also known to be loud on what we are doing mm-hmm. towards these efforts of climate change. So that is what we expect. So that is not just problems of funding that are there, but also what are we doing as Africa in our contribution to this effort. I still think technology is important. Even at the Africa Policy Institute, we are are a member of the Climate Technology Network, CTCN, Climate Center Technology Network. We recognize that, for example, some reports show that for all the money invested in mitigation and adaptation, 15% only goes to adaptation. So there's a lot of attention on mitigation efforts. And I still think that for this trend to change, technology is a solution. Because if you look at most of the solutions in adaptation are technology-centered. I think technology is important also because there are things like, uh, for example, in agriculture, things like biotechnology mm-hmm. can be very useful. In, in improving production while preserving uh, or conserving the environment, you know, and therefore reducing the effects of climate change. Mm. Uh, in, also, in the African context, for example, management of water systems okay. uh, is a big problem, and I think technology is the solution. Mr. Ma, earlier you mentioned the 2060 goal of achieving carbon neutrality. What should look forward to with regards to the 2060 goal of achieving carbon neutrality? What should environmentalists and policymakers be focusing on to make it happen? Yeah, uh, 
2060, uh, you know, this carbon uh, neutrality uh, uh-huh. pledge made by China is extremely important uh, as the second largest economy with the largest population. And also, in the meantime, as the factory of the world, our carbon emission has not picked it yet. When it comes to carbon neutrality, it means that we have to vastly reduce the more than 10 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide plus the extra greenhouse gases emission and then try to neutralize the rest of it. It's a tremendous challenge. It's going to require a total transformation Mm -hmm. of our energy supply model. We have to truly structure our industry, which is too much focused on the carbon-intensive and energy-intensive industry. And also, we have to change our model of transportation and urban development and uh, heating and all of this. Mm-hmm. And even the greening, try to green our lifestyle. So it's, it's total transformation that is required. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's highly, highly challenging. So to try to achieve that, it is important for the government to come up with the key national guidelines and work out all the timelines and uh, agenda and, 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 and roadmap. But in the meantime, it is also equally important uh, to, to try to foster an extensive participation from all stakeholders, especially from the corporation and the public. Mm. Uh, so to facilitate that, uh, we trust that uh, the experience, as I mentioned, that China managed to bring the level of air emission down by more than 50% in just eight years of time. I think that experience needs to be tapped. Mm. To achieve that, uh, we have uh, vastly enhanced the monitoring and disclosure and try to use the information to facilitate uh, public participation. So on the carbon side, we're trying to do the same. You know, my team, we have a blue map database, and based on that, we uh, now uh, is developing, we're developing a blue map with zero carbon to try to compile the emission data and energy use data on the global level and also on the region. Mm-hmm. So in China, we give breakdown all this carbon emission data province by province and city by city. Based on that, to work out a provincial and city level carbon pick and neutrality index mm-hmm. and use that to assess the performance of all major provinces and cities. I'd like to know from you, Dr. Orego, what are your thoughts on ideal roles and actions that African policymakers should take on climate change? I think one of the things that uh, in the African context, we've spent so much time uh, lobbying and planning. Even if you, if you did an evaluation of the first cycle of NDCs, mm-hmm. nothing much was achieved. In some countries, like even Kenya, there is no report, there is no assessment report showing how much was achieved in that. Yeah. So I think one of the actions that is needed is simply we need to move from lobbying now to action. Okay. And just as colleague has said, you know, he's giving very specific targets and very specific things that have been achieved. That is not the case in Africa. So I think the policymakers need to, we need to have more action. We also need to make informed decisions. So I think there is need for a lot of research to go into these efforts. On top of the target and uh, the activities that are planned uh, to achieve this target, there needs to be a lot of research also to mm-hmm. go into these activities. For example, can, can we, if we have set a target of reducing our emissions by a certain percentage as Kenya, mm-hmm. uh, do we have a way of quantifying that? Mm-hmm. So do we have a baseline of that? And do we have a way 
of quantifying so that every every time we reduce, we can report and say, through these efforts, we've reduced by this much. So you can already see the gap in research and knowledge. But we need to do this, uh, a lot of research, to also help these activities. Another thing I think our policymakers can do is a lot of networking and uh, collaborations. For example, I've just had what my colleague is saying in the studio, and uh, you can see and you can hear from him that China is so much ahead in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. And yet I am with him on studio from Kenya, which is far much behind uh, on the same. With collaboration and uh, even sharing technology, uh, so we, we, need, we have to find a way as policymakers mm-hmm. to interact uh, in a way that we can also benefit from, uh, from that progress and uh, adapt the use of some of this technology to accelerate also how much we achieve in Kenya in terms of this effort. I think those would be the actions that I would recommend. Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, that's all the time that we have for on the program. Mr. Ma from Beijing, Dr. Orego, all the way from Kenya. Thank you, Bridget, for having us. Thank you for having us. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time.